Last week we had the introduction to Hashkafa, the terms and so on. Today we're going to actually begin the study of Hashkafa. And uh, what's going to be attempted to answer is many, many different questions. Now today what, what I'm going to try to go into is the idea of why did the Rebbein create the universe? And why does it look this way? Why is there a, a this world and a next world, Meilam Haba, Meilam Hazir? Why is the world created in this fashion, in this setup? So I'm going to be talking about these questions today. And that really will begin the introduction or the initiation into Hashkafa proper. The first idea which is important to mention is why did the Rebunishan create the universe? Why? We know that he has no needs, he doesn't need us. We don't do anything in terms of giving him something that he doesn't already have. That we know. So if that's the case, then we know that we're not fulfilling some kind of need that Rebunishan has. He's devoid of needs, so therefore the question arises, of course, is why did he create the universe? What is he really needed for? That question is really the most fundamental question of all. The purpose of our existence. Why are we? The answer to that is really a very simple idea. The Rabbanishim wanted to do good, to be native to beings outside of himself. And in order to do that, he created beings. That's the simple statement, which of course needs explanation. Because the revelation, what he wanted to do was to create a universe so that he could be native or do good to the beings in that universe. Whatever good is, which we'll be getting into. What, how do we understand the good that he wants to do? But to give individuals or created entities a certain feeling of extreme well-being or pleasure, whatever is good, this is why the Rebunishim created the universe. Now, the question of why does the Rebunishim want to do good, yeah. what's his motive, that is not answerable. Because we do not know what motivates God. We don't know what, why does the Rebunishim do anything at all. Why does he want to create the universe to do good, that is not answerable. That would presuppose a knowledge of the Rebunishim himself and how he functions, what motivates him. But that's not knowable, as I mentioned last week. Or, well, actually. Therefore, it's not possible to know why he does something. We can only know what he wants to do, what his rotten is, what his will. Why that he appears in his will, we don't, we don't know. So therefore, we know what the will is to create a universe, to do good to the beings in that universe. Why he wants to do that is not noble. What motivates man? What motivates mankind? The answer is needs. People do what they need to have, or what they desire to have, or whatever. Because it arises out of a result of needs. That's what motivates people. Whether it be biological needs, or psychological needs. And there are both. Psychological and biological needs of a human being. But the idea is that it's those needs which motivate people to do things. And that which a person does, of course, is in response to those needs. So we understand what motivates mankind. 
But the revolution has no need whatsoever. So then what motivates him? Again, it's not knowable. Because we, since we do not know the nature of the Rabbanishnam, then we therefore do not know what motivates the Rabbanishnam himself. However, we do know, and what was revealed to us, is that what the Rabbanishnam is, what the will of the Rabbanishnam is, is to create a universe to do good. That is what we do know. And that is the answer to why God created this universe and everything that's contained in it. So the answer is Hatoho goodness, to do good to entities besides him. Once the Rabbanishnam decided to create the universe, to do good to that universe, okay, so the question of course arises, what will be the source of that goodness? Now that goodness can be interpreted or looked at as pleasure, okay? It's a pleasurable experience, because pleasure experiences tend to be good. People desire pleasurable experiences. In fact, people do anything to further pleasurable experiences. And that which is a negative experience, okay, painful experiences, people obviously avoid. So therefore, the question arises of what kind of pleasure or source of pleasure we, would the revolution create? Now, what he did, in this universe we have pleasure, sources of pleasure. It's enjoyable to eat. There are many enjoyable things in this world, okay? Now, but these sources of pleasure are, first of all, they are finite. There's only a certain amount you can get from them, okay? It's not an infinite source of pleasure. Second thing is that they are only a certain kind of pleasure. Even within this world, there are certain things which are more pleasurable than others, okay? In terms of the kind of pleasure, not the amount of pleasure, but the kind of pleasure is different. And the third idea is that pleasure tends to be very boring after a while. If you do the same thing again and again and again, after a while it becomes very boring. Okay? So therefore, the Rabbanishnam, in this world, he created external sources of pleasure. But, since we know, and we'll discuss it further later on, that the Rabbanishnam is perfect, whatever that means, shlemus, perfection, then it follows that he himself would first of all contain the idea of a source of pleasure since he contains all ideas within him number two, that this, he, he, God as a source of pleasure would be infinite and number three, that that source of pleasure is of a kind which is completely different than all other kinds and is the best possible kind of pleasure and that that kind of pleasure, since it is infinite is, there's no boredom in that kind of pleasure. They can go on to all eternity. So the Rebbeinu decided that he himself will be the source of pleasure. Why? Because the Rebbeinu, since he decided to be mated, to do good to beings outside of himself, he wants to be mated in the best possible way. Since he is perfect, it follows that whatever he does is also going to be perfect or the best kind. So that's the notion of Hatova Shlema, perfect bestowing of goodness. And in terms of the Rebbeinu, if the Rebbeinu wants to do pleasure in the best possible way, then the Rebbeinu himself will be that source of pleasure, and not an, in, an external source of pleasure. God himself will be that source of pleasure, and he will not create a, an external source of pleasure from which people will derive their benefit from. 
So this tells us that the religion wants to be made to do good, that the idea of doing good or the source of that good will be he himself and not some external thing which God creates in order to give pleasure. Once we understand that the revelation wants to be made and that that hatopo or goodness will be the revelation himself, the question is what is the revelation going to do how are you going to relate with the Rebbeinu that you're going to get pleasure from him? Okay. Anyways, if he's source, if he's the source of pleasure, how are you going to connect or lock in to the Rebbeinu himself? The idea is that whoever mankind, what will happen is that you will experience the Rebbeinu in such a fashion that that experiencing itself will be awesome kind of pleasurable experience. In other words, man experiences God directly. And that experiencing, that relationship between mankind and a version of himself is the greatest form of pleasure or toy that uh, 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 any created being can experience. So it comes out that the version of himself is going to relate with people in such a fashion where people will experience the Rebbeinu Now, where do you have a similar idea? Prophecy. The idea of prophecy is that the person who is receiving the prophecy relates to the Rebbeinu in certain ways. As a result of the relationship that he has with the Rebbeinu he experiences certain knowledges. But as a byproduct of relating with the Rebbeinu in a certain way, there's an incredible, intense pleasure, kind of, okay? So prophecy itself is an incredible experience. It's actually an incredible pleasurable experience. Besides the fact that a prophet can know the future, whatever. But it's an ex a tremendous experience in terms of the pleasurable aspect of it. Not only that, but people actually have a misconception about prophecy. And that is that people think that a person who is a prophet told the future. But the truth is that prophecy really has nothing to do with knowing the future. Prophecy is where a person would want to develop into being a prophet because he would want to experience the revelation more. He would want to get to know the revelation more. Now, in a certain area called relating with the revelation and getting to know more, there are those people that the revelation specifically told the future in order to communicate that to Kaiser. But those were a small amount of Nevi'im. Kaiser had over a million Nevi'im. Imagine that in the time of the Nevi'im themselves, Ishai, Yechesu, and so on. They had um, over a million prophets. What happened to all of them? They were not saying prophecy. But the idea is that prophecy is an end in itself that has nothing to do with telling the future. Those who virtually wanted certain prophets to go and tell the future or Nevu'a prophecy to Israel. But the idea of prophecy is not related necessarily to uh, the idea of uh, knowing the future. A person would work on himself to become a prophet in order to experience a greater knowledge of the Rabbani Shalom, thereby an intense pleasure. That's an idea of prophecy which most people don't know. You know, it's, and it's interesting, once somebody understands that, that knowing the Rabbani Shalom in different aspects is an incredible pleasure, 
you know, you take a look at Sadiqam who are very removed from this world. They work on themselves, they're very removed from this world. But the idea is that if you realize the pleasure that they get, you drop everything and join them. People think that a, a, a tzaddik, a righteous man, right? That he's, he's got to give up everything and he suffers a lot and he doesn't eat like other people. And, you know, he really abstains from a great deal of pleasure. And, you know, you want to have to think about it. You know, you really want to embark on that kind of a life or whatever. The idea is that somebody who grows in that life, who's a tzaddik, and thereby experiences the Rebunishlam far greater than you, has tremendous amount of pleasure. So if anything, that state where the Rebunit, where, uh, where a person works on himself and thereby experiences the Rebunishlam more is a tremendous state that anybody should be after. I guarantee you, if you experience one-tenth one-tenth the Hanor that a true tzaddik experience, you drop everything and go right in that direction. Because that's really what a prophet does. Or rather, a tzaddik does. He experiences a tremendous state of, 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 of pleasurable experience because he abstains or whatever. And the experience of the Rebunishim himself is what gives him a tremendous state of pleasure or satisfaction. In any case, that is the idea of when we experience the Rebunishim in some way, what comes with it is a tremendous state of pleasure. That's a very crucial idea. That is the kind of Kwamiti, the true pleasure and the greatest source of pleasure that the Rebunishim has in store, okay, for those people who he will give it to. And it's not a pleasure which is described in human terms. It's beyond. Like Chazal said, that all the messages of the Nabiim, when they were saying there would be a good life and the lamb shall dwell with the wolf and so on and so forth, right? You know what time period they were talking about? They were not talking about Odin Mahabha, the future world. They were talking about in the times of the Mashiach, Yemaisa Mashiach. What will be in the future world, the Moses says, No eye has ever beheld nor can we describe, as long as we're in Elam Habor, Elam Hazer, what the future world lies in store. Because it's a complete changeover of physical reality in order to accommodate the experiencing the Rebbe We, in our present state, in this physical reality, cannot accommodate that kind of pleasure. Okay? However, in Elam Habor, the physical reality changes, which we'll be talking about later in a future time, and one can then experience the Rebunish on himself. What is Gehenim like? If you'd like to know, you know, what is Gehenim all about? Well, you know, people think that Gehenim, you know, you can get down, get down there or whatever, and all of a sudden they light fires under you and so on and so forth. <laughs> the hell and brimstone kind of Gehenim. That's a Christian concept. This hell and brimstone kind of, where they scream, you're going to burn in purgatory for the rest of your life and so on and so forth, you know? That's Narashkaitan. The idea of what a Gehenim is really like is a, a moshe like this, which the, really the Ramban gives. Let's assume a person's in a hospital, okay? He's got all the intravenous coming out of him, and he's just operated for a stomach disorder, you know? And, and he feels nauseous, he feels weak, he feels he's got a headache, he feels terrible. He's in pain, you know? And through the window of the hospital bed, he hears next door and he sees that there's a tremendous party going on next door, you know? What's the party? I mean, they're, they're having tremendous, I mean, their food and whatever's going on at the party, you know, it's enjoyable. So, and he thinks to himself, you know, so somebody's, you know, somebody next door, let's say, calls over, hey, come on over, you know, you're invited. 
How can this person get up and join them? No. Who's stopping him? Nobody. He cannot, in his physical state, enjoy what's going on next door. Nobody's keeping him there. Nobody's lighting fires under him. In his physical presence, he cannot experience or enjoy what's going on next door. It's the same idea that the person cannot experience the revolution because of what he has done to his own physical substance as a result of Averis. And we'll be getting into that. The whole thing of what does an Avera do to a person and how does it interfere in terms of Ulam Like I say, you know, it's a whole long series of, uh, of, of uh, Hurem. Getting back to the Rebbein we understand a crucial idea now that we will be experiencing, hopefully, the Rebbein in such a way with the pleasure that arises from that Hasogo. Hasogo means the perception of the Rebbein is incredible or mind-boggling. And it cannot be described right now in this Bria. Like the Chazal say, The eye has never beheld what that will be, what is laid up for the Tzaddikim or stored for the Tzaddikim in Olam Habo. All that the Nabiim talked about is only for Olam Hazer, not for Olam Habo, and only Nehemiah and Mashiach. Now, you can ask me a question. Wait a minute. What do you mean experience the Rebbein himself? Can we experience the Rebbein himself? The answer is no. Which I'll be talking about probably the next week. And I'm going to use it as a springboard. You cannot experience the Rebbein himself because the Rebbein is not knowable. You'll understand what that means much better next week. But meanwhile, the Rebbein God is not knowable to, to any other being outside of God. So one could say to know God is to be God. Anything less is not to know Him. So the question is then, how can we experience the Rebbein In what way? Well, in that idea is a profound principle, and that principle itself can determine a tremendous amount of why this world looks the way it does. But I merely wanted to raise the question that if we say that the Hatava, which the Rebbein will give, is going to be Shneima, perfect, and therefore he's going to be the source of that pleasure and nothing else. And that means experiencing the Rebbein to be Masik the Rebbein in some way where there will be an incredible amount of pleasure. So the question of course is, how if the Rebbein himself is not experienceable? Because to experience something else means to know that being. Okay, let's leave that question for next week. And that will, and as a result of that question, I'll be getting into the Rebbein he himself because obviously one must know what we do not know about the Rebbein or what we can know about him in order to understand this that's why it's so crucial to understand but in any case that is what the Toif is to experience the Rebbein and the idea is that is what a Tzaddik is experiencing and if you knew if you could feel the pleasure that he gets which is very different for people who do not work on themselves who would run to do what he does. Now that idea is also called dvekas, clinging. When a person, in fact it was the last week's parsha, the dov kaboy, boy sidba, and you shall cling to the Bernstein. You don't cling to the Bernstein because again, that's not, not something physical that you can cling to. But clinging means when you, clinging defines the relationship. When you cling to something, that means that your knowledge of that thing which you cling to is very intimate, correct? Right? That's what it means. So the clinging means, it's a metaphor. 
means when you cling to God means that you are in that position to the Vaishnava as if you would be clinging to him and just like when you cling to him you have a greater intimacy therefore that relation that you will have will be like you cling in the physical world and the intimacy that you have with the Vaishnava will be incredible that's the metaphor that's why they use the word clinging dover vacus and the state of vacus is the greatest state of core of, of all and that is what every Jew strives for is the dovka boy but now you understand why the dovka boy the dovka boy the revolution wants you to strive for him in that way because that is exactly what the whole end all is is vacus because that is what the tov is that you will cling to the Vaishnava in such a way where you experience him in that intimate way and that is Vegas. So the Vaishnava says, you be Dovik in me. So this is the idea in the Vaishnava in terms of what the future world lies or aim, what's going to go on. Now, it sounds great, doesn't it? It really sounds good. We understand why the universe was created. We understand what kind of reward will be there, even though we do not experience the reward, but we understand conceptually at least what's going to be there, and what that is not going to be an external source of pleasure, and we have ideas in terms of what vacancy is, and that we're going to be massive the revolution in some aspect. But there are certain problems that arise, which the revolution has to overcome, so to speak. What are these problems? The revolution can create a universe, right? And all of a sudden he creates everybody. And right then and there he starts giving you pleasure. Right then and there. Forget about this world. Let's throw it all out. The revolution can create a world, let's say it's an ilm, which corresponds to ilm haba. And right then and there he starts giving you the pleasure. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have all these miseries outside. You don't have to have all these kind of pains and so on and so forth. He immediately will start giving you the pleasure or whatever he intended to do in the first place. Obviously the Russian did not do that because he created a mockum of universe which precedes that oilam, Habo, and that's called oilam Hazer. And oilam Hazer is full of miseries. Okay? It's full of the idea of you have to work for a living, you gotta earn your bread, you have to worry about what's gonna be, you have to raise a kid, you have to look for a job. I mean, it's, it's full of all sorts of miseries and pains and sufferings and so on. Every once in a while something good happens, but basically it's filled with a lot of difficulties and hardships. So the question of course is, you know, what am I talking about? Right? On one side we're talking about that it's going to be a utopia, the Rorishan is a creator of Mamish and Moedic universe. It's going to be incredible. Utopia, Nirvana, whatever you want to call it. And you take a look at this world and you see what went wrong. Why did Rajiv do what he said he's going to do? Right? He should have created a universe right away, Oilam Habo. No Oilam Hazir. Right away. Gan Eden is as far from Oilam Habo as we are from Gan Eden. Or it's even much further. Okay? Even Gan Eden has no hasoga of what Oilam Habo is. It's a radically different universe. It has different physical universal laws. Okay? So the question, of course, is what went wrong? Okay, now, it's very important to understand that there's a certain idea, and it's a fundamental idea, 
It's so fundamental that the Rebbeinu steered one way instead of going the other way. What is that idea? Let's assume that I want to do very good for you. You know, you know what I'll do. Everybody's sitting at this table. I'm a billionaire. Okay. I decide that from now on, I don't want you people to work. I don't want you people to work. Not only that, I don't want you people to have any pain anymore. You know what I'll do? Every week, I will, I will mail into you a thousand dollar check every week. Okay? But, you must guarantee me that you will do nothing else. You won't seek any other source or anything like that. I'll give you people every week a thousand miles a week for the rest of your lives. Now, how does it sound? How does it sound? Would you want that? Sounds good, huh? Okay, I'll do it the first week, the second week, the fourth week, and so on. After about a couple of months of this stuff, right? What's going to happen to you? Bored. You're going to get bored, but more than bored. You're going to develop what's called a welfare mentality. What's the mentality of that? You're going to lose your self-respect, right? Because people, how does a person gain his self-respect? When he is productive. When a person does something and he is successful, right? When he is independent, that's how a person feels good about himself. You ever speak to the guy who made his, his who made his million, and you speak to the guy who inherited his million? It's a totally different swing. The guy who made his million dollars because of his ingenuity, because his hard work, like he's on cloud nine. The guy who inherited his million dollars feels bad because he knows he did. It's, there's no proof. This. The fact that he's a million, it doesn't say anything about his worth. A person wants to feel good, he wants to feel like he's worth something. He has to have self-respect or self-esteem. When you put someone in a position of a welfare mentality, in that sense, right, a status, well, that's all the person does is you give, you give, and you give him time. Tremendous, give you a thousand dollars a week. After a while, after a couple months, you'll hate me. You'll hate me with a passion. Because every time you receive that check, it makes you feel like you're nothing. That's what happens. Right? That's shame. You're going to feel embarrassed. The people in welfare, they, they develop what's called a beggar's mentality. If you go out and beg, you, you, know, you notice the beggar, the shnara, beggar? You know how bad these people feel in the beginning? But after a while, they rationalize that there's nothing else they can do. So they develop, they, they, they don't mind living with themselves as beggars. But it's still deep down. If you ask the guy, do you feel good about yourself? Yeah, of course he feels terrible about himself. That dependency on you for a living is terrible. He has to beg. A beggar has no feelings of worth. Okay? So the idea is if the version created the Inamahabo right away, and he gave you the toif after a while, and we're talking about toif lunetzach mitzacham, aren't we? We're talking about toif which goes on for all eternity. Could you imagine after a couple of months, forget about eternity. You're going to tell the Rebbe I don't want this. I can't take this anymore. It's great in the beginning, but after a while I can't take this. I, I, I need some sense of self-respect, some sense of, of self-esteem. Every time I receive that check, I feel embarrassed, I feel shame, I feel worthless, I feel inferior, and all the other feelings that put people in a mental institution. The revulsion didn't have to create you in a way where you would feel embarrassed by taking something. He could have created you in a way where there would be no idea called embarrassment or there would be no idea of inferiority, loss of self-esteem. So let him create a person that way and then let him give him an amabo. 
Why does he have to create it and then the whole problem arises and then he's got to go fix it by making this world? Hold on to that question until next week or the week after, whatever. The idea that the revolution should create a universe perfect, Oilam Habor means that, that's the question. Let the revolution create a universe which is perfect and he could be native automatically. Why does he have to create this miserable world for with all its turmoils and troubles and sewer? Could you? What prevents the revolution creating that universe is the idea of embarrassment. Now, that concept of embarrassment for receiving something which is not yours has a technical term. It's called Nama di Kisufa. Nama means dead. Kisufa means embarrassment or shame. Because of the idea of Nama di Kisufa, of bread of shame, and that idea is that a person who accepts bread and he didn't do anything for it has a tremendous loss of self-respect, tremendous sense of shame. Because dependency in people bring out the worst in them. That's what dependency does. When you make somebody dependent, you give them a feeling, tremendous feeling of inferiority. That's called Namdik Sufa. Now, in terms of the Rabbani Shalom, he decided that he would give the most perfect reward, right? Because what is he aiming for? Hatoba Shlema. God wants to give good in the best way, because he's perfect, so he does everything perfect. So he figured out the best source of pleasure, which is himself. In terms of the Nisein, the Makabal, the one who receives it, there's, there's something stopping, there's an impediment. If God is going to give him perfect reward, then he's, with that reward he's going to have that feeling of Namadik Sufa, embarrassment or inferiority. So there's something that's not going to allow that person to experience the pleasure the way he could have had he not had that feeling. So the reversion's got to remove that feeling of Namadik Sufa. Then the reward that the, uh, the toy that a person receives, what kind of toy will it be? Perfect. Shlema. You see? Now, how do you remove Namadik Sufa? Well, if what makes you feel so bad is because you don't work for it, so, of course, the opposite, of course, is work for it. If you've got to work for your reward, or your toil, then every, uh, every iota of toil you receive is a result of whose efforts? Yours. So then there's no more independency. It's true that the revulsion is giving you his toil, which is not related to your work, whatever. But you only get the amount of toil corresponding exactly not one molecule more according to the efforts that you put into it. Oh, so then it, it's okay. The amount of work that you do is the exact amount of toiv you get. If you work, you get more toiv. You goof off, you get less toiv. You don't do any toiv, you get nothing. Or rather, you don't do any work, you get nothing. So therefore, the setup of the universe is going to be where mankind must work for his eventual toil. So work becomes a condition for the Rebbeinu's toil, which is to be experienced. Now, since the Rebbeinu decided that you must work, he had to create two different places which exist in two different times. He created Olam Hazer. Now, and that's the place, that's the place strictly for working, and he created Olam Habo, which is another time and place which is strictly for receiving the reward. Now you understand why there's an Olam Hazer. Olam Hazer had to have been created because of the idea of the concept of Nam Lik 
since a person in order to receive a good reward in order to experience that reward must experience it in the best way possible you've got to remove that idea of shame or inferiority or worthlessness you've got to create ulam hazet in order to get rid of that and then if he experiences toyif in ulam haba it's beautiful because then he earned that toyif then a person is not cloud nine not only because he's receiving cloud nine reward but because it's incredible that he worked for it and he, he he, he could say to everybody, I am getting exactly what I work for. Okay? Now, so we begin to see that Ulam is the exact tikkun. Tikkun means the correction or fixing of the idea of Namlik Sufa. And when Namlik Sufa is corrected, then there is a Hatovah Shlema. In terms of the Makabal, that the person receiving it now feels great. Not only the source of pleasure is great, but the person receiving it now can experience it in the best way possible. And that leads us into a discussion of the idea of the kind of status work in this world is called. And that leads us into the ideas of the differences between chesed, din, and rahman. What's the difference between chesed, kindness, Din, justice, and Rahman, compassion or mercy. Three different behavioral styles. And what's the difference? And how do we understand the whole universe based on that? These are very fundamental ideas that we're dealing with. I'm presenting in a very simple fashion. Maybe its simplicity is fooling you. But the idea is that these are very fundamental ideas of Ashkofa. And an understanding of these ideas gives you tremendous understanding of the whole rationale of what's going on. Now, what is chesed, kindness, din, justice, and rachman? Why do we call the version of our rachman, our chesed? Because we see the whole universe is based on justice or din or work. Let's go into each idea. Who can tell me what chesed is? Chesed is when you give somebody else toy, something which is beneficial to them and there's no claim or obligation whatsoever to do that to the person who's receiving it there's no obligation, he has no claim, he didn't do anything to you why are you giving it? because I want to give it I want to do something good for this person he has no claim on me he, didn't, he doesn't deserve it in any way I have no obligation, nothing I want to give this person toy, something good without any reason whatsoever on the, per, on the part of the person who receives it merely I want to do it because that is my will that's true chesed chesed is when there's absolutely no reason for giving a person toiv other than the fact that you want to no merit in terms of the individual that's the definition of chesed okay what's the definition of din? justice what does justice mean? Din means that I will only give toiv in response to some act on your part which equals what I will give you. See? It's the notion of a balance, an equalization, a recompense. In other words, you do something, here is the balance, the equalization, the recompense. You don't do something, nothing. It's uh, one equals one proposition. 
For everything you do, that's what you get. And the amount of things you do, you get more. You do less, you get less. You do nothing, you get nothing. That's what din really means. The notion of din means to give somebody toiv because he has a claim. He has an uh, he has a merit. He deserves it, and therefore you give it to him. Not because you merely want to give it to him, but there is some kind of deserving on the part of the individuals receiving it. That's din. Now the idea of din demands that you get what you did. That's what din demands. There's an accountability, a balance, an equalization, an undoing. You did this, you must get that. Now, but there are two kinds of things. If you did a good thing, then I give you good. You did a bad thing, then I give you punishment. Justice demands both. People think that justice is we get whipped. It's not true. The concept of justice demands just as much that you get rewarded for what you did as much as it demands that you get punished for the evil you do. It's the same idea. Justice demands recompense. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. It doesn't favor either way. Although we tend to think that it favors you do bad, you get punishment. But the truth is justice demands both sides. That's the concept of din or justice. The idea that you get what you deserved. So, it comes out that whatever I'm going to give you, who caused that? You did. You are a true cause to what you are getting. You know, it's like it's like a <clears throat> it's like a, it's an opposite effect. <clears throat> if you do something, you create a situation where you receive something. If you don't do something, then you create no situation. You are the cause of whatever is reciprocated to you. You see? That's what justice is. You are a true cause. Now, what's the idea of Rahman? Compassion or mercy? What does justice demand? Justice demands that if you do something bad, right? One, you must get your recompense, right? It's got to be full measure, exactly what you did. And it's got to be now, not later, now. And you certainly can't have a second chance, right? That's, what ju- that's the full thrust of the idea of justice. So the version takes a look at Din and he says, wait a minute. If a person will get to you exactly in terms of what he did, this world is not going to be, it won't last very long. Because uh-huh. if a guy does something that deserves a real punishment and the version is going to clobber him, you know, he's not going to be in a very good position to do something else after that. So the version introduced an idea called mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is a softening or a negation of the full thrust of din. That's what mercy is. It means instead of the version jumping on top of your head fully, he softens it. He negates the full concept of justice. Remember what justice was? Recompense full recompense, now, immediately, with no second chance. So Russian violates all those ideas in justice, and that's called mercy. So it comes out that if there was no such concept of 
justice. Would there be such a concept of mercy? No. Because mercy only exists in justice. Because you have justice and I soften part of it, we have the idea called mercy. If there's no justice, there's no concept called mercy. Everybody understand? So Rahmanus or Rahamim is a concept which is embedded. It needs justice to exist in. It's the softening or the negation of some aspect of justice. That's what Rahman means. How is the Mershma about Rahman? Well, this is the way the Mershma is about Rahman. One, that if a person does something, he won't even bring you to judgment. He'll wait. Maybe you'll do tshuva. Or maybe you'll correct your ways. Secondly, even if he brings you to justice and you're pronounced guilty, he won't punish you right away. He'll wait. Maybe you'll do tshuva. Thirdly, even though he brought you to justice and you were found guilty and he waited and he didn't do anything and he's got to punish you, right? He won't punish you at one shot. He'll distribute it over a year. So that means any blow will be much less severe than if he came on top of you. Like a guy who has to get 39 lashes, I'll give you one a day instead of all 39 at one time. Okay? And now, and in a fourth way the version is about Rahman, is that maybe you deserve punishment, so I'll do you a favor. I won't do it on you, I'll do it on your possessions. The pain that you'll feel won't be physical pain, it won't be a physical injury, it'll be a monetary injury. So you lose a thousand dollars. It's also painful, but it's not you that was damaged or injured. All these ways illustrate how the Rebbeinah negates Din, how he's about Rachamim. But the concept of Rachamim is always the negation of Din. But in the end, who wins? Din. That's the idea. The universe is created on a structure of justice because of the idea of Nam Sufa. Because any other way would produce shame or inferiority in you. You've got to get what you deserve. If you work for it, you get tremendous stuff. And if you did bad, you've got to get punishment. You've got, it, it's based on din. But in the end, justice, even with mercy, has to prevail. Except the Russian will spread it over a longer time. And where do we see that? Because it says, Kolo Unra Kodesh Gohu Vatman. If anybody says that the Rishlam forgoes justice, yeah, okay, I like your looks. I won't give you, I won't punish you now. So it says, let his years be forgone. Or the Rishlam is not medabdik, he's not so picky uni with justice, so he shouldn't be picky uni with the amount of years you get. Let him take off a couple. So the mom says. So you see a profound idea that with Rahman, you still must get the full measure of justice. Except the Russian doesn't have to do it at one shot, he can spread it over years. But in the end, the amount will equal the amount that you could have gotten in one shot, but it was softer, it was easier to bear. So in the end, justice must rule. Why? Because if God is not just to you, meaning that he gives you something for nothing, what's the other guy going to scream? Why should he get something for nothing? Give me something for nothing too. And everybody's going to be screaming. I demand also, uh, give me also a free handout. So the whole thing falls apart. So justice demands equality among all. Justice does not only demand that he give you exactly, but it demands equality among all, or else it's not fair. What, there's no equalization here. 
It's not only there's no equalization because you did not work for as much as you're getting, but you are different than him. There's a, there's a non-equalization here. So justice demands that also. Okay? That's the concepts of what? Of chesed, to give something to nothing. Justice, to give something only in terms of what you do. And rachmim, that if you do something bad, and justice demands some kind of recompense, God will soften that. And as a result, He'll spread it over or whatever, and make it easier. But in the end, justice must prevail. Now you understand three different concepts. Okay. Uh, yeah? Now, what does it look like? We shortchange chesed, right? We're screaming, that God is the greatest chesed of all. And what am I presenting? Although, you version as Rachmanus, but it comes out, it's all dim. Look at this. I mean, what kind of business is this, right? I'm presenting a universe full of what? Compa- that Rebbeinu is a murdi chesed, and here I'm presenting a universe that strictly adheres to din. It's not an evil universe. It just says what you do, you get, whether you be good or bad. But where's the chesed? For that, we'll continue next week. Last week, I had spoken about the beginning of the framework of the entire Bria. In any case, last week we had spoken about um, the idea of the the beginning framework of the universe, what, uh, how the whole thing unfolded, what the Sakhar of Ilam Habo is, and, and why, and so on and so forth. Now, just to go back very slightly to last week as the beginning of continuity, I just wanted to review uh, basically two ideas. And the first idea is that since the Rabbanishlam decided that he himself would be that toiv that the created beings would experience, okay, because since God is perfect, he wants that which he will give created beings the true toiv or the perfect toiv. So obviously since he is perfect, it follows that in him lies the complete perfection of toiv. So therefore he decided that he himself would be the the source of that type. Now, since the Rebbeinu is perfect, whatever he does is always in the most perfect way. Therefore, if he wants to give toiv, it's got to be with what's the principle called hatova shlema. It's got to be a perfect goodness. Okay. So the ultimate, the ultimate idea is hatova shlema. That if the Rebbeinu is going to give toiv to the bria. It's going to be the best one of all. Now, when you talk about giving toiv, you talk about two different ideas. The one who gives the toiv, the noisin of the mashpia, and the one who receives the toiv, the makabel, okay, or the mushpa of that toiv. So therefore, the hatova shlemo obviously is God himself. That was, if it's the best kind of toiv, then the, the one who's giving the toiv will of course be the Rebbeinu because that's the most perfect goodness. So the best type, of course, is that which emanates from the Rebbeinu So half of the formula of HaTavah Shalem is completed. Once the Rebbeinu decides that, he will give the type. Okay. Now, but what about Mitzad the Makabal? To give type to a person. So I had mentioned last week that is a new concept called Namadik Sufa, which means bread of shame, which means basically 
just, uh, just basically what it means, is that if a person receives something for nothing, continuously, in other words, if a person is kept in a state of dependency, what happens is a person loses his sense of worth, his sense of respect. Every person who is given something for nothing in a continuous basis, the more dependent that person feels, the greater is the, is the loss of self-worth, self-respect or self-esteem. It's called a beggar's mentality. Okay? So therefore, if the Rebbein will give his toy for free, with no obligation whatsoever on his part, what's going to happen is that the Nivra, the Makabal, the one who's receiving the toy, is going to begin experiencing incredible amount of loss of self-respect. So even though the, the, the Makabal will receive a certain amount of toiv, or a tremendous amount of toiv, but with this together there will be an admixture of embarrassment, of shame. So therefore the Rabbani Shalom has to masakin or correct that idea called Namadik Sufa. Now, so the first idea called Hatova Shlema necessitated, or rather as a result of the idea called Namik Sufo, or there's a certain ikum, something which prevents a person from really experiencing the Torah, the, the reversion now has to go through what's called Din. Now, the reversion cannot give Torah for nothing. He's got to go through what's called din or justice. <coughs> what is din? To go to define, last week I had defined the concept of what is chesed, what is din, and what is rachamim. Okay? What are the three different ideas <coughs> which are so fundamental? We always say chesed, the should be about rachamim, the Bereshim is about chesed, and so on. What does that mean? So last week I explained the ideas of Chesed, Din, and Rachman as the following. Chesed is when you do good to a being with absolutely no other reason than the fact that you want to do it. That person has no claim to you, you don't owe anything, there's no obligation, there's no merit, there's nothing. There's no reason in the world why this person should be receiving good from you. Why are you doing it? Because it's your rotsen, because you want to do it. That's called Chesed pure goodness for the sake of goodness itself not because you've got a you have a payment to make or a debt to pay the next idea <coughs> which was called a din is the common uh, the idea of din of course is justice but what is justice justice means an exact balance for every single act that you do there's something else that happens as a result there's a balance, there's an equivalency, okay? There's a recompense. Everything you do has an exact equivalent, which means that you are the cause, and that's the key idea here, you're the siba of every teitzah, everything that happens. So therefore, if a person, now when the Rebbe gives teitzah, it must be as a result of your prior actions. You must be the seeker for his toiv, so therefore you don't feel dependent on the Rebbeinu anymore. It's true that he's giving you the toiv, but he's not giving it to you only because you did something. So in a great sense, you're independent. You are receiving something which you yourself did, completely independent of the Rebbeinu. That 
giving of Tuvoi, of his goodness, in the form of Din, which is the exact cause and effect relationship, is a tikkun or correction of the chesorim called Naamidik Sufa. And therefore, Hatova Shlema will be realized. Everybody see the way it works? Really very simple. Now, again, because Hatova Shlema dictates perfect good, and Naamidik Sufa stands there in the way and doesn't allow the full goodness to go, because you'll be embarrassed, so Rebbe decides to give it to you through Din, which means you have to work for it, right? And as a result of that, Namdik Sufa is now removed because you're doing it yourself, you're now independent, right? And therefore, the good that you received is perfect, Hatova Shlema. So we're now back to the ultimate idea called Hatova Shlema. And that's the whole reason why the Tev has to go through Din rather than Chesed just giving it to you for nothing. Actually, embedded in that idea is when it says You know what that really means? That's din, that's all it is. In the direction you want to go, God fears you, that's all. All it means is that the principle of din dominates, not the principle of chesed. Because if the principle of chesed dominated, okay, then there would be that embarrassment. So therefore din dominates. So therefore when the version says in the, the way that you want to go, God fears you, or God conducts you, that's what really Din is. Because He has to conduct you in the way you want to go, because that's the whole point of it. You're the one who decides which way you're going, and therefore that's the way the version will allow you to go. That's really a statement, the underlying, that's really a statement of Din. So the key idea of Din is that it's a cause and effect. It's recompense, it's a balance, an equalization. Now, if you remember last week, I said that justice demands that if you do a good act, you get good. Just as much as it demands that if you do something bad, you get bad. You get punishment. Justice doesn't say what you should get. Justice says you did this, you get that. That's all it says. If you, if you jump off a roof, then the person, of course, is going to kill himself. He's going to die. That's din. It's the immutability of teva. That the concept of teva is really a great deal to do with the concept of Din. But in any case, without getting into that, the idea of Din is that it's a balance, it's a recompense. Now, what is Rahman, right? You're going to see. <coughs> the idea of Rahman, as is mentioned, is a negation of the full thrust of Din. If you recall from last week, Rahman intercedes in Din. In other words, if somebody does something, and all of a sudden he's Nukhuyiv Misa, so because the Rabbi is a Rahman, he won't do the immediate punishment. Because if you remember, Justice demands a recompense immediately in, in the full severity. So Rachman mitigates, softens just uh, again. So what mercy does, or compassion, or Rachman, is it intercedes in the full thrust of Din, and it allows the person not to be punished severely. If you recall, I gave you four different ways how Rachman can intercede. You know, instead of getting punished now, you get punished later, or instead of being immediately in one shot, it, it happens over a year's time, and so on. And so each individual instance of punishment is not as severe as if it had come in one shot. Those are the concepts of Rahman. Okay. Now let's get back, let's go into this year. So I ended last year with the idea that, wait a minute, if we see that the idea of Din is immutable, meaning that it's, that's it, the world runs on Din, and there's nothing that can be done because you must massacre Naamidik Suf in order to reach Hatov Shlema. So if that's the case, so where is the Rebbe Shlema Baal Chesed? And not only is it Baal Chesed, we say, Gurma Chasod and he's the greatest Baal Chesed of all. He symbolizes, he's the 
He's the essence of chesed. So then where is it? If we obviously see that there must be there because of the whole Indian of Namrik Sufna Torah Shlema. So that's where I ended off last week. Okay. The Rebbeim is a and I'm going to analyze five different areas where the Rebbeim is about Chesed, okay? And each area, of course, subsumes many areas underneath, divides himself into, you know, the whole Bria. But in these five areas, the Rebbeim is about Chesed par excellence. You can use that word for the Rebbeim. In what areas? I'll, if you want, I'll just give you the five areas, and then we'll go back and study each area. First, the opportunity. He's a Bachesed. The opportunity for Tuvoy is the first. The second, he's a Bachesed in the manner of the opportunity. Don't bother thinking about now. I'm just giving you now so you'll know what to refer to the main titles. The third idea is that the Rebbe is a Bachesed. Okay? In... Um, in the certainty of Tuvoy, Tuvoy, the goodness that he's going to give. We have the, I, I will explain each one, don't worry. Uh, again, the first one is the opportunity for Tuvoy, the, the forms that one works in order to get Tuvoy, okay? The third idea, rather I say the third idea is the fact that the opportunity for the, for the work to continue is a third idea. The fourth idea is the certainty of Tuvoy. And the fifth idea is the fact of Tuvoy. Okay, now I'll, I'll explain them all. But this generally are the five different areas in a very uh, major division of Hadrubashim is about Chesed. You'll see, you will all agree with me after it's all finished, that the Russian is an incredible Bachesed. Even the fact that it has to go to Din. Okay? Now, let's begin. The first idea. Let me ask you something. Let's say a person is a multi-millionaire, okay? And, uh, or he's worth, let's say, a hundred million dollars. Okay, and he's got a, he's got, of course, obviously this person has many, many businesses, you know? And he sees a guy, a guy in the street, and he meets him and he gets to know this guy. And this guy is unemployed, okay? Now, he feels sorry for the guy, so what he does is he employs the guy, he gives the guy a job. Okay, now let me ask you something. If this guy does not work, will he get paid at the end of the week? No, right? So then where in lies the favor that this person did? The answer is that he has given the individual the opportunity to work. The fact that this person has the opportunity to earn money in, in, in light of the fact that the one who employed him doesn't need this person at all is an incredible act of chesed. Even though this person must work to earn the money, but since the employer, who's a millionaire many times over, doesn't need this individual, he can have anybody else or whatever, or he doesn't really, that's how he created the position for the guy, that itself is an incredible chesed. The fact that he gives this individual the opportunity to work for him and make money, it's the same idea with the Rebbeim The Rebbeim doesn't need us. He has no needs, if you recall, we spoke about that. He has no needs whatsoever. There's nothing that we do that in any way is mashlim him or gives him something that he doesn't already have. So then what does he need the whole crank? What does he need the whole beer for? The answer is because the most fundamental idea of the Rebbeim's chesed is that he wants to create beings in order to give them toiv 
for doing nothing. But because there's a side problem, so therefore he makes them work in order to give them the Torah Shlema. But the opportunity to do this, to get an Olam Habo, okay, is the greatest single act of Chesed there is. Because there's no reason why the Rosham needs anybody. That's what it means when it says Chesed Olam Yabonel. That the world stands, the world was built on Chesed, even though it has to go through Din. But the whole foundation stands on Chesed. Because the opportunity to work itself is an incredible Chesed. Once we're here, then the contract is you have to do a job, okay? But Chesed Olim the universe is built on Chesed, not on Din. Din had to come because of the idea of Hatov Shlema, okay? But the idea is that Chesed is what created the universe in the first place, okay? So that itself is a murdic idea. Where do you see this illustrated, the desire of Chesed? You see by Avram Avinu, for instance, when he, it says in Vayera, when he was sitting there waiting for guests. So most people, you know, even if they want to invite guests, it doesn't bother them the fact that nobody knocks at their door to get invited. That doesn't bother them. Here's a man, Avram Avinu, who's pained by the fact that nobody's knocking on his door. He must do Chesed. So, you know, if Avram Avinu could, he would create the guests so he can do Chesed to them. <clears throat> that is an exact duplication of the kind of chesed the Rebbe Shalom has. Whereas it's not chesed in the sense that, well, if somebody comes to my door, I'm going to do my Amoidic Torah and so on. The chesed of Avraham Avinu is the chesed of the Rebbe Shalom in the sense that he had to have somebody to do chesed too. So the Rebbe Shalom did chesed with him and he sent him three Malach. So he literally created three people, okay, look, go do, do Avram a favor by letting him do you a favor, okay? I mean, that's really an example of the chesed of Avram, because Avram epitomizes chesed. Why is the chesed of Avram? That Avram epitomizes not only chesed, but the true form of chesed. That he would, if he could, he would create a universe to do good to Avram, okay? That is the chesed of Avram. And that's what's meant by chesed o'yim yibona. First chesed, okay? So uh, that itself is a meridizah. The Russian created an entire universe with incredible complexity, okay? In order that people should be able to earn their toil. Right? Isn't that Givaldi? And then he could have he could have said goodbye and that's it, right? I mean, had he done that alone, it would be incredible. Like they say, dayeno, right? Nagoda, right? But nay, Russian doesn't want to do that. He does even more. What's the next step? The next step is, well, okay, you got to work, right? So obviously there must be a task, right? What kind of task is that going to be? Because justice demands that you get toiv if you do something. Well, do something means you got to have a task, right? So what the version does is he gives not one task, but he's got a backup of three different tasks in case you botch up the first. The first task, and in the future weeks I'll be going much more into them about how they truly symbolize what is going on. But just I'm just mentioning them peripherally because I want to show you the three different kinds of tasks. In any case, what are the three different ideas? We know that the first obvious task, what does God want us to do? He wants to do mitzvahs, right? Good. So the first obvious task that a Jew has to do is mitzvahs. It's the simplest outright forward uh, uh, ideas, how many times, 
that uh, the Gulim Bukhukah say Telech and so on to listen to the mitzvahs now but the Rebbe is afraid of course that you, the people may not do the mitzvahs right instead they'll do the Averis they'll do the opposite of mitzvah they will not do his will they'll do the opposite they'll do an Avera so the Rebbe provides a second means medium and that's called Tshuva that if you don't do the mitzvah there's another way of reaching the toiv, and that's tshuva. Tshuva is an independent way than a mitzvah. And I'll be going into that more as the weeks go on, even though this week is Yom Kippur, but still, because uh, I don't want to discuss something out of sequence of ideas. And right now it doesn't fit. In any case, the idea is that tshuva is the second method of getting toiv. Okay, but wait a minute. What happens if a person doesn't do mitzvahs, he does a verse, and the person doesn't do tshuva, so then what happens? Okay, so the reversion provides a third mechanism for getting toiv. Each one is a mechanism, it's an entsoi, it's a true method of getting toiv. What's the third way? The third way is yisur, pain, whatever you want to call that. Now, why pain gets toiv and so on and so forth, that we'll hold off for later. But that's a third mechanism. First mechanism mitzvahs, the second mechanism is tshuva, and the third mechanism is yisurim. Three different ways of getting oilam habo, toiv. That's as I mentioned last week. Oilam habo is the place and the time that toiv is presented, and oilam hazeh is the place that din is presented. And the whole reason why oilam hazeh was created is because it has to go through din, so therefore you need a separate, independent place than oilam habo, and that's why you have oilam hazeh. So there you are. The version provides not one, not two, but three different ways, mechanisms of getting Olim Habor. Okay? That's, it's ever the Moedi Chesed. Even the version wanted to provide a way, a mechanism of getting toiv, right? So one way is sufficient. You don't do it, it's too bad. Nay, three ways to get there. Second Moedi act of Chesed. Now, so therefore there are three, as I mentioned, three different mechanisms for that toy. So that again is a murdi chesed of the Rabbani Shalom. That's the second area, okay? So the first area was the opportunity for Tuvo itself is a chesed. I begin to see what the titles mean. The second idea is the variant ways of getting Tuvo itself is a chesed. It's not one, it's not two, it's three. Okay. The next idea with the Rabbani Shalom is about chesed is the idea that the idea of Rachman. Now, I pulled I pull a fast one on you because I said there's Chesed din Rachman. The truth is Rachman is Chesed. Okay? Most people don't see, you know, you know, it's not obvious. But the point is this. What does justice demand? Justice demands that a person get recompense fully and immediately, correct? Any softening of that, any mitigation or any negation of that idea of justice automatically is what? You're getting something for nothing. Right? You know, if the version doesn't make din, then what's he doing? He's about chesed. Automatically. You know, if you're not, if the version is not doing something immediately, if the effect does not immediately follow the cause, then that obviously then something has happened which is not deserved. Correct? Not deserving means chesed. But, in other words, if a person is a Baal Chesed 
and he wants to exhibit or express his chesed in justice, you know how he does it? Rahman. Rahman is merely the Rahman is merely the attribute of chesed, okay, as expressed in din. That's all. The fact that the Russian negates din to whatever extent, and he does, you know, he doesn't do din is murdi chesed. But the chesed which is expressed in din is called rahman. That's a special case of chesed, so it has its own term. Notice the Rebbe is a bar chesed even in din. Loi dai. That the Rebbe is a bar chesed, but even though he created the world ayyidei din, midis din, still his chesed still forms the main idea even in din. Okay? But you see, in other words, in, in, in other words, like I say, if a person is about chesed and he wants to express his attribute of chesed, kindness, within the seat of justice, what does he become? Mercy. That's exactly what mercy is. That's what compassion is. Because any negation of din automatically means chesed. So that's the first idea. That Rahman is chesed in din. So look at this, the Russian didn't even want Din to be complete. Right? Because that's what a Baal was. That even if he has to create the universe through Din, but he's going to be a Baal Rahman. That's the first idea. The second idea is that even though the Russian is a Baal in Din, which means that he's a Baal Rahman, Din must win out. Because if not, you get back to the old problem of Hatova Shlema, because Namnik Sufa. So the fact that the Russian is Mekayim is Din itself is a Chesed in a certain way because Hatova Shlem was in the sky. Okay? So therefore, Din must win out. Like I told you, like I mentioned last week, the Maima. Anybody who says that the Russian is Mavata on Din is grossly mistaken. Okay? The Russian ultimately, in other words, I don't care how it works. Even if Din is suspended, but in the end, you're going to pay back for what you did. But the Russian won't do it, let's say, immediately. He'll do it over a year, like I said. But at the end of the year, it's going to be an equal sign. That equal sign must be. That's the most fundamental law in the universe. But you see that with that equal sign, you have a lot of play, like they say. So the Russian is a murdiba chesed even in the din. And he doesn't have to be. He can say, look, I gave you the opportunity to work. I gave you three different ways to work, right? But I don't have to make it softer, but he does. So that's the third way the Rosham is a moody Bachesed. Now, what is the fact that the Rosham softens the din? What happens as a result? Let's say a person does something which is Mokhuyib Miso. Let's say he does the charism Shabbos and he knows about it and whatever. So he's Mokhuyib Miso, correct? That's the English for Chilul Shabbos, correct? So din demands strike that di- strike that individual down now, right? So Russian doesn't strike him down. He allows him to keep walking and to keep going and to have more nisyonis, more tests or opportunities for work, right? So it comes out that Rachman, what it does, it is enables a man to keep going and have more opportunities to get to it. So that's the continuity of of Toivo that I mentioned. That as a result of Rachmanis, a person can keep living and the din can come go four months later. 
But in between, he has a tremendous opportunity to, to again work for turf. He could do more mitzvahs. Let's say he decides to, the next Shabbos he decides uh, not to do that. He, he does during the week he does mitzvahs. So the Shalom's Rachmanus enables people to keep doing the job. Okay? So it's the continuity of Avoidah. It's not only the, the Chesed in Rachmanus, it's not only the fact that God doesn't strike the person down immediately and He makes it easier to bear the pain. Okay? But also in the fact that there's a continuity of Avoidah, that the person can keep being Berchelotov, choose goodness, or choose mitzvahs, or whatever, and he's not stopped dead in his tracks. So Rachman enables the continuity of Avoidah to continue, which is a Merdivzah. Okay? So that itself is an incredible form of chesed. So that's the third idea of chesed. Or rather, a third idea in the idea of Rachman. The fact that Rachman itself is chesed in the sense that you get less patch or less yisun. You get it over a long time so it's easier to bear. And the fact that this enables you to continue choosing it, it continues and enables you to continue being in the arena to choose good or to win the Muhammad. Well, I do want to give an example which uh, which is good. For instance, if let's say somebody has to get 39 lashes, Malchus, okay? So you give them one every day, it's a lot easier to bear, right, than it is to have 39 in one day, right? So the fact that you minimize the amount of pain itself is a chesed, correct? But what happens if somebody gets 39 Malchus in one day? He's sick for a week, he's, he's laid up so he, so he can't walk around for a week. So the fact that he gets one lash in that day not only enables him, not only enables him or ma- makes it easier to bear, it's less pain, right? But enables him to keep walking around that day and keep functioning as a human being. You see? So that's the idea. That marshal illustrates the two chasodim in Rachman itself. Now, we get to the fourth chesed. And the fourth chesed is altogether mind-boggling. Because if you thought the Rebbein was about chesed, because he gave you the opportunity to work, because he gives you variations of work, right? And he gives you the ability, he minimizes the pain and he makes, sh- and he gives you the c- continuity of work, right? When you, when you hear the fourth and you really say it, it doesn't make sense, right? The Russian comes in on a new fourth way and says, look, you know, it's true that din operates, correct? In other words, if you, in other words, it's possible for a person to do a various all his life, right? And then he won't get Edom HaBor. Because that's the contract. If you do the ter- if you do the mitzvah, you get Olim Habo. If you don't do the mitzvah, you don't get Olim Habo. But wait a minute. What is the Rebbein first and foremost? The Rebbein the relationship between the Rebbein and mankind, not only with the Jews, but then it, because of different things that happened in history, it became more peculiar to the Jews or focused itself more on the Yidin. Okay, but the truth is to all Nevroim. The Rebbeinu's relationship to the Bria is the relationship of a father to a son, not a stranger to a stranger, or not a friend to a friend. It's the relationship of father to a son. Okay, now, and wh- so therefore the, the love that the Rebbeinu has for this Bria, and for Klai Yisrael in particular, is the exact same Ava that a father has for a son but infinitely more so, much more intense. Now, just imagine, let's get back to our, our martial Let's assume you're, uh, you know, again, you have 
millions and millions of dollars, you know? And you have a son. He's growing up. Now, obviously, you love the son and you want the best for him. But you know one thing. If you give this son of yours a Yerusha, or rather a gift of $10 million, you're going to ruin him. He's going to be spoiled because he doesn't appreciate what he's getting, right? So what do you do? You see, look, I want to give you the $10 million, but for your good, I don't want to give it to you for free. You'll squander it because you don't know the value of money. So what I'll do, I'll make you work for it. So I'll give you a, you know, I'll give you an $80,000 job. And I'll make it possible for you to earn the $10 million. But it's got to be in the form of work so you appreciate the value. Now, so therefore, that's similar to what we're saying, isn't it? That the Russian wants to give the Torah, but for the benefit of the Mechabal, he's got to alter the circumstances so that the one who's going to receive it works for it. Because if not, there's going to be something wrong. In the case of the... Example, the son was squandered, he doesn't realize the value of it. In the case of here, you have a tremendous shame, independent, uh, dependency, which is also, by the way, true of the son and the millionaire. So the version makes you work for it. So the father makes the son work for it. Same like that muscle. Now, but wait a minute. Let's assume the son goofs off. Mamish doesn't do his job. He figures, look, you know, whatever I do, you know, Pop owns the whole store anyway. I don't have to worry. I mean, I'm going to get it anyway. So what does the Rishon do? He cannot give his son the money because Adrava, I mean, that's the worst thing of all. Because he'll really ruin his son. But yet he wants to give him the money because it's for his son, right? A father wants his son to have the money. He doesn't need the $10 million. He's got enough 400 million where that came from. So how is he going to get around it? So what he does is, is he'll think of a way, he says like this, Look, son, if you're not going to freely choose or do the work that you have to do and get the money, I'm going to make you work. And then you're going to scream to me and say, look, I work, I deserve it, and then I'll give it to you. I will make sure that you will do your job. In other words, I'm not going to give you the money for nothing, but I will make you work. And when you work, you get the money. Because the meter of a father to a son is the, the father insists on having the son getting the toy that he wants to do. Because that's what the father wants. That's the greatest hanor that the father gets. What the Rabbanishnam devises is called a backup system. If clients will insist on destroying themselves, okay, because they do a verse or whatever, the Rabbanishnam will make sure that he's going to give them the scha or ilum haba. But he cannot give them for nothing. It still has to go ayidei din. But ayidei din, they're going to get the schar. The Rebbe is going to make sure that they must go through one of those three mechanisms, right? Either mitzvahs, tshuva, or yisurim. So, you, so it's like the Rebbe says to class, look, you must get ilim habo. There's no, you, you can't three out of it. But there's one of three ways. Either you do it through mitzvahs, which is bechira, I mean you choose, or you do tshuva, which again you choose, and if you don't do that, I'm going to whip you until you deserve that reward. Okay? So in other words, Rosham says that you've got to go through one of those three mechanisms to get the reward, and I will make sure that you will go through one of those three mechanisms. But it's up to you which one you want. So the Mida of Ava that the Rosham has to Christ for, which is the Mida of Ava that a father has to a son, creates the new idea called the backup system. That's called on Hogas Hayyichud. And I'll explain why it's called that. So in other words, the idea that there's a backup system, 
that Christ will must get Olam Haba. But it's got to go through Din or else it won't be Hatava Shlema. So Rosh Hashem says it's going to be with one of those three mechanisms. Either you're going to work for it to mitzvahs, you're going to do tshuva, or you're going to get Yisurim. One of those ways. But you must get Olam Haba. Now I ask you, after Rosh Hashem set away the, will, the, the world, Aidei Chesed, right, first, and then he said it has to go through Din. But look, you must get Olam Haba. Now isn't that the greatest chesed of all? That there's going to be justice, right? You will deserve Olam Haba Aidei Din. You remember the first year we talked about Nechama? The Kaisel will deserve the Nechama Aidei Din? Same idea. Aidei, by means of justice. Okay? The same idea here. That the meter of Ava as an off to a bend is the shirish, is the root of a new conduct of the God of the Rebunshlam. That the Rebunshlam now acts in a way not only as a recompense, but God does, you know, it's, God is motivated by two different ideas. The first thing that God does is because of recompense, he's got to equalize all the time. And the second idea is because he wants to make sure you get in my ball. That new meter, that new anhoga, that new conduct. It's called Anhogas Yichud. It's a backup system which forces Jews to go through one of the three mechanisms. And it emanates from the Shirish of the Avo as a, of, of an off to a Ben. Now, why is it called Anhogas Yichud or the conduct of Yichud? Why isn't it called, you know, it's, there's two Anhogas. There's Anhogas Mishpat means when God conducts himself motivated by the idea called justice you know, if you see a Russia and also gets punished or you see a tzaddik who has much a good time much better time, that's called mishpah but when you see but the revolution is motivated not only to do justice but he's motivated to make sure that a person gets Elam Habba okay, so then you can see the reverse obviously you see a tzaddik suffering, right, for whatever because maybe he didn't always choose the good, whatever why is it called Hagasai Yichud? Because we know that we live within Teva, correct? We live within a physical universe and the physical laws are not changeable, basically, unless the version wants to change them, right? What's the hallmark? What's the main idea of a king? It says, Melech Peritz Gedevahelech. A king just breaks through the fence and goes through. A king isn't subjected to the laws that most of mankind is. It's a possible. A king breaks the fence and goes right through. In other words, he's not subjected to the same laws as his population. Okay? Many times he can violate those laws. And I'm, I'm not talking about American Nixon either. Okay? Those who are thinking in that direction. Basically, the idea of a king is that a king has different laws than his people. The concept of a king in terms of the Bolshevism is the same thing. When the Rabbani Shalom does this backup system, so Anhogasi Yichud means, uh, so therefore the concept of king is what? That he can violate laws which most people have to keep. Now, what is the fundamental law of the universe? Din, justice. That everything has a recompense. Well, God violates it. That's what it means. So therefore, his violation of that law shows that he's absolute supreme authority. Correct? That Yichud. Yichud means he's absolute one means he can, he's contrary to everything else that exists, including the laws itself. So he can violate din. 
So when it's, it's called anhog, the anhogo of the yichud, the anhogo of the absolute one means that devotion is the absolute one, right? And he can violate everything else, including din itself. That's why that anhog is called yichud. It's also called anhogas ashlita. Shlita again means rulership. Anhog of the true ruler to violate laws that everybody else. And even though the entire universe, even the malachim, everything has to go either din, the Rabbanishim just, just discard the thing itself. And which is what he does by Anhogasi Yichud. And that's the backup system. That's why it's called Anhogasi Yichud. The Shevish we know is because of the Alpha, and that's what is Anhogasi Yichud. Now, that's the fourth act of Chesed. The fifth act of Chesed is when you do a mitzvah, it has nothing to do with the Tuvoy that the Rabbanishim will give you. There's no, it's not like, you know, if there's no cause and effect that must be the effect is not necessary after the cause. So the fact that the Rebbe is going to give you any two void for an act which really intrinsically has nothing to do with that effect is a chesed. That itself is the chesed. That your act really doesn't necessitate God giving you good. You don't make him obliged to you in any way. So the fact that the Rebbe will give you toiv for an act, stop a mitzvah, itself is the chesed because one doesn't dictate the other if one dictates the other then it's din but if one doesn't you do a mitzvah it doesn't dictate the Rebbe has to give you a body, it doesn't give you anything even if you're tzaddik gomor but the fact that he will give you toiv even though it's, one doesn't follow from the other is chesed and the second concept is the quantity of toiv what do you wind up doing? you do a maisa mitzvah right? you do one mitzvah you have an idea how much reward you get for one mitzvah, it's mind-boggling. So the quantity itself is not justified according to the act. So that itself is chesed. That's the fact of Tuvah. Okay. So what I've gone through is five different areas of the Rebbe chesed. Each one circumventing din itself. The opportunity for Tuv, the variations in the, uh, the task itself, Okay, the continuity of that avodah, because rachmim, besides the fact that you don't feel as much pain, the backup, the certainty of tuvo that you must get and the, the amount of tuvo and the fact that you get tuvo, all these five different ideas is the chesed of the reversion in an incredible way, and be, I mean, of course, there's many more chesed, but in those five areas. They, and they themselves have many areas underneath. Is the demonstration of the version chesed, even after din? So the, la- the last week when I said the question, if the whole thing is din, how is the version about chesed? Now you understand how is it about chesed, in, in, even in din itself.